I'm Mark Royce, and welcome to my curious ghosts and folklore podcast, where in each episode I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going back to the realm of fairy. We are going to be whisked away to fairyland, to the home of the Tulloith Tig, those magical and mischievous little creatures which populate the forests and hidden places of Wales. And on this episode, we are going to uncover the connection between the fairies' origins and King Arthur and Arthurian legend. We will also look at the different varieties, because there's more than one kind of magical creature out there. In fact, there are said to be five very distinct varieties, from those in the mines to those in the rivers. And we will look at all these variations. We will also take a closer look at the meaning of the Welsh name. What exactly is Tulloth Teg all about? Because it does not translate as fairies. It means something much more magical, I believe, when you look into it. And if that wasn't enough, we'll even be looking at where the fairies go to market to buy their supplies. Now, you won't notice them because they are invisible and things, but they do go to markets. And who knows, maybe they go to the same markets as you. Maybe you've been standing next to them for years and years without realising all of this is going to be revealed on this episode dedicated to the realm of fairy, the return to the realm of fairy. And the reason I say return is that because regular listeners will know I have done a few episodes on this subject now. In fact, episode 14, which was called the realm of fairy could be seen as part one of this episode and if you haven't listened to it yet and you enjoy this episode i would recommend going back and listening to episode 14 afterwards but just to bring everyone up to speed and just to refresh your memories as well episode 14 looked at the work of wurt sykes wurt sykes one of my folkloric heroes was an American writer who moved to Wales to Cardiff. And while staying here, he collected loads and loads of information about Welsh folklore and in particular about Welsh fairies. And on the last episode, I looked at the origins of these these little creatures, about where exactly they came from. On this episode, we are going into more detail and i think i will start with the name because as mentioned in welsh they are called utaloith tig but that isn't the only name for them there are lots of little variations but utaloith tig seems to be the popular current one at least now to break that down the easy bit is er at the start why and that is just welsh for the so the this is where it gets a bit more magical. Now, the word taloth means family. The word tig means fair. And I'll spell those words for you. Taloth is T-Y-L-W-Y-T-H, which means family. And tig, T-E-G, 
means fair. So literally, Ur Teg translates as the fair family. But there's a bit more to it than that, because there are longer versions of this name and variations of that longer version. And for this, I'd like to refer back to good old Mr. Sykes and quote from that collection of Welsh folklore. And he tells us, the modern Welsh name for fairies is Ur Tig, the fair folk or family. This is sometimes lengthened into Ytalwythtig an Urkoid, which means the fair family in the wood. So Anakoid in the wood, or Talwythtig Amun, which is spelt M-W-N, and Sykes tells us that means the fair folk of the mine. Now, it is believed that the first reference, written reference to the Talwythtig can be traced back to David Ap. Gwilym, one of the most important poets, not just in Wales, but anywhere in Europe in the 14th century. And by all accounts, he is the first person to write a poem with the words Taloth Teg in it. But of course, there are some who would tell you that Taloth Teg can actually be traced back to before the beginning of humankind. Take your pick on, on that one. Now, another name, another quite a popular name for them is Bendith Ur Mamai, which again is a straight translation into their mother's blessing or the blessing of the mothers. And it is said this comes about because the fairy folk are spoken of as bestowing blessings on those mortals whom they select to be thus favoured. So that is to say, good little children who it is a pleasure to know. The fairies are thought of as good children. It is a pleasure to know because they bestow you with blessings. Hence the name Bendith Amami. And Sykes tells us that they are seen dancing in moonlight nights on the velvety grass, clad in airy and flowering robes of blue, green, white, and scarlet. Details as to color not usually met, I think, in accounts of fairies. So Sykes is telling us that the fairies of Wales, Ytalwyth Teg in Wales, are more colourful than other nations. We have flowing robes of blue and green and white and scarlet and who knows, maybe, maybe lots of other colours as well. And while they are seen as these pleasant young people, they can get angry, they can get nasty and vindictive, and you can turn them against you. You can create an enemy from them if you name them by a harsh epithet. That is to invoke their anger, Sykes tells us. Instead, what you should always do is to speak of them in a flattering phrase. That way, you will keep in their good books. Don't talk bad of these fairy folk. Now, in the last episode on fairies, and I'll try to stop jumping back and forth like this, but just quickly, on the last one, I did speak of how it was believed these fairy folk originated, started life in the northern half of Wales, probably amongst the Snowdonian Mountains, back in the days of King Arthur. Now, there is another Arthurian connection with the fairy folk, and it is connected with Avalon, Avalon, this magical island 
which is right up there with Camelot when it comes to famous places connected with King Arthur. And it is said it is on this island that Excalibur was forged. So it's quite, quite important in Arthurian legend. But Avalon the name is thought to derive from the Welsh word Aval, which in the Welsh language, V is an F. So it's A-F-A-L. And Aval means apple or Avali is apples. So Avalon could mean Island of the Apples, with Anis being the Welsh for Island, Aval for the Avalon bit. And the origins of Avalon really is a, a talk for another day. But the reason I mention it now is that Sykes talks of these mystical islands in the green meadows of the sea, and Arthur wasn't the only one out there on his Avalon. In the triads, they were referred to as the Gwerthonai Llion, and many extraordinary superstitions survive with regard these islands. They were supposed to be the abode of the souls of certain druids who, not holy enough to enter the heaven of the Christians, were still not wicked enough to be condemned to the tortures of Anun, with Anun, A-N-N-W-N, being a word from Welsh mythology, which means otherworld, but which is often used interchangeably with hell, this idea of hell, and it doesn't strictly mean hell, but in this respect, if we think of it as a hellish place, but they were not bad enough to be condemned to Anun, to hell, and so were accorded a place in this romantic sort of purgatorial paradise, which sounds like a, a contradiction to me, a purgatorial paradise. But there you go. I mean, it's it's a heck of a lot better than hell, I imagine. And Sykes tells us that in the 5th century, the British king Gavran, in search of these enchanted islands with his family, sailed away into the unknown waters and was never heard of more. Now, this voyage is commemorated in the Triads as one of the three losses by disappearance, the other two being Merlins and Madogs. Merlin sailed away in a ship of glass, Madog sailed in search of America, and neither returned, but both disappeared forever. In Pembrokeshire and southern Carmarthenshire are to be found traces of this belief. Now, bear with me, the fairies are coming into this now. I know I'm going off on one about the souls of druids and Merlin sailing off on a <laughs> boat made of glass and Madog. Madog is a fascinating character, by the way. If you get a chance, have a quick look on the internet. There are some great articles about Madog, or Madoc, rather, out there, who... Folklore tells us is the Welshman who really discovered America. Back in 1170, so apologies to anyone from Genoa listening who might think, well, no, it was our Christopher Columbus, but apologies, it was a Welshman 300 years before Columbus who discovered America. Well, according to folklore, at least. And as we all know, folklore is always right. Anyway, back to fairies again. I really am going off on a heck of a tangent with, with Madoc and discovering America. But I've mentioned a few times the green meadows of the sea in these quotes. And in this last little quote from Wurt Sykes now, he says that there are sailors on that romantic coast who still talk 
of the green meadows of enchantment lying in the Irish Channel to the west of Pembrokeshire. Sometimes they are visible to the eyes of mortals for a brief space, when suddenly they vanish. There are traditions of sailors who, in the early part of the present century, now this was written in 1880, so in the early 1800s, who actually went ashore on the fairy islands, not knowing that they were such, until they returned to their boats when they were filled with awe at seeing the islands disappear from their sight, neither sinking in the sea nor floating upon the waters, but simply vanishing suddenly. And that is the point I was trying to get to. I know I've been going off on tangents here, but there was a point. These green meadows in the sea, these strange miraculous islands to the west of Pembrokeshire, were the enchanted lands of the fairy folk. And when we talk of them being in the forests, when we use the name Taluth Teg and the fair folk in the woods, well, they were also the fair folk on the sea, with their secret islands just off the Welsh coast. And I did promise this at the start, but the fairies inhabiting these islands are said to have regularly attended the markets nearby. And there are two markets in particular which anyone living in West Wales might well be familiar with. But it was at these two markets that the Tulloth Teg made their purchases without speaking. They laid down their money and departed, always leaving the exact sum required. So back before contactless payment, the fairies had the money counted ready. They knew. They knew how much it would cost without any words being spoken. Bang. There's your money. Thank you very much. Sometimes they were invisible. And Sykes doesn't expand on this, but I guess you, you would just find some of your stock missing, maybe, and find a pile of money there. So they didn't, they didn't steal while they were invisible, but you didn't notice the transaction taking place. But they were often seen, he does tell us, by sharp-eyed persons. So maybe the, the equivalent of shop security back then, people who were there to really keep an eye on things. But the sharp-eyed people could pick up on these invisible small shoppers, I guess you could call them. And they would be seen in, as mentioned, two markets, which were in Larne and Milford Haven. Now, Larne, for such a small place, has already appeared on this podcast quite a lot. I think Larne has been on this podcast more than Cardiff and Swansea and Newport. But if you did want to know more about Larne, there is an episode dedicated to its most famous resident, Dylan Thomas, and the ghosts of Dylan Thomas. And that was episode eight, I believe, if you did want to go back and check that one out afterwards. And also, Larne's most notorious supernatural visitor, besides the fairy folk doing their shopping, is said to be the Gwishki, the dog of darkness, the Welsh hound of hell. And the Gwishki episode is the one just before Dylan Thomas. So if Dylan Thomas is number eight, the Gwishki would be number seven. But back to this one, the fairies would go shopping in Larne. They would also go to Milford Haven. 
And I think this is the first time I've mentioned Milford Haven on this podcast. So clearly, there's an imbalance here. I need to correct this. I need to do less Larn, more Milford in the future. And I am hoping to do a Shakespeare episode soon. So Milford would definitely feature quite prominently in that one. And it still features quite prominently in this one as it goes, because it was said that when the fairy folk from their island in the sea popped over to Milford and went to the market, they had a favourite butcher. There was one special butcher upon whom the fairies bestowed their patronage instead of distributing their favours indiscriminately. So this was one lucky butcher. He got all the fairy trade. And it's also said the Milford Haven folk could see the green fairy islands distinctly lying out a short distance from land. And the general belief was that they were densely populated with fairies. It was also said that the latter went to and fro between the islands and the shore through a subterranean gallery under the bottom of the sea. So it, I've left it late to mention Milford, but now that I've mentioned it, I think that's quite a, an incredible piece of folklore they've got. The people of Milford Haven can see the fairy islands, which even sailors who visited them couldn't find again. Not only that, they could see how densely populated they were. There was, there's not just one or two fairies. These things were overcrowded with them. And they could hop back and forth between land and between other islands using this subterranean gallery at the bottom of the sea. A bit like a, a an old school fairy Euro tunnel, I guess. A quick way to get back and forth. So really, Milford really does put itself at the top of the places to go if you want to see fairies, or certainly if you want to see seafaring fairies. So in this episode so far, we've looked at what that name, Tulloith Teg, means. We've looked at where they lived, and one of the suggestions was, like King Arthur on his Avalon, they were out on secret islands off the west coast of Wales. But what we haven't looked at yet is these different varieties of fairies. And what I'd like to do on this episode is to have a very quick look at those five different varieties. And then what I'll do in future episodes is dedicate an episode to each one. So this is just going to be a general overview. Otherwise, this episode would be five hours long. And then future episodes will look at each individual one. And while Sykes does tell us that fairies being creatures of the imagination, it is not possible to classify them by fixed and immutable rules. Nevertheless, he gives it a go. And he says that the fairies of Wales may be divided into five classes, if analogy be not too sharply insisted on. And thus we have number one is the Athlon or the elves. Number two is the Coblanai, or the Mine Fairies. Number three is the Bubachod, or the Household Fairies. Number four, the terrifying Gragev Anun, the Fairies of the Lakes and Streams. And number five, the Gwithion, or the Mountain Fairies. And as mentioned, I will have 
upcoming episodes dedicated to each one. We will have an episode on the elves, the Athlon, the Mine Fairies, the Koblanai, the Household Fairies, the Bubachod, the Fairies of the Lakes and Streams, the Gragedd Anun, and the Mountain Fairies, the Gwythion. And we will also have another episode coming up, and I need to make a quick apology here to regular listeners. If, if you're not a regular listener, you will not know this, so it doesn't matter. But if you are, I did mention that the next fairy episode, as in this one, would feature the king of the fairy folks, Gwyn Apneath. Now, Gwyn Apneath is a big, big character in, in fairy law, in, not, not just in Wales, in, in British fairy law and folklore. Now, sadly, he hasn't made it into this episode again because of time restraints, but I promise you he is coming up soon. So I am going to have a list of fairy episodes the length of my arm to catch up with soon, so you can expect a lot of fairy episodes coming. Well, not not in the next few weeks, because December is going to be dedicated to Christmas. And without giving away too many surprises, I can say that we will be looking at a certain Mary Lloyd and some very creepy Welsh ghost stories over the festive season. But after that, I imagine January, February, March are going to be fairy months. And on that note, I've reached the point in the episode where I like to ask what you think about all that. Do you have any experiences with going to Larne Market, to Milford Haven Market, and have you looked out to see and seen these enchanted green meadows and these fairy folk travelling back and forth between their distant lands, or maybe just, just buying something off the butcher? If so, it would be great to hear from you, even if it's just to say hello. You can track me down on my website or on social media. It's easy to do. Just do a search for Mark Race. And if you put the word ghosts in or folklore, I will pop up on top and we can we can have a chat online. And very quickly, as always, if you have enjoyed this episode and you don't want to miss the 200 episodes about fairies I've got coming up in January, plus the Mary Lloyd and all that Christmas stuff, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever. And to wrap things up on this episode, Word Sykes, in these accounts of the fairy folks and their islands, does quote Geoffrey Chaucer, the English poet of Canterbury Tales fame. And while this is written in ye olde English and not in ye olde Cymraeg, it certainly applies to what we've been talking about on this episode of Welsh fairies, and I was thinking of wrapping up this episode with that verse which Sykes used in his book of Welsh fairy tales, but I've got one big problem with it, and that is I can't pronounce it, because this ye olde English stuff, I'll try the first line, and it goes like this. In folder days of King Arthur... <laughs> uh, no, like I said, I will just absolutely massacre it. But what I have done is I've cheated and I've done a quick search for that verse which Sykes has used about the fairies and I have found a modern day English translation. So I would like to wrap up with a modern version 
of an old Geoffrey Chaucer verse relating to the fairy folk. Although, sadly, this translation has actually removed the word fairy from it, which kind of defeats the whole point of it. But what the heck, let's finish with this one. And before I do, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian am grando. I've been Mark Reese. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It's the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And on that note, let us all say goodbye with Geoffrey Chaucer. In the old days of King Arthur, of whom Britons speak great honour, this land was all filled of supernatural creatures. The Elf Queen, with her jolly company, danced very often in many a green mead. Until next time, no star. Thank you.